and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things. My name is Elizabeth Miller, and this is a podcast where I talk about a few things that I'm grateful for and the surprising history of how they came to be. As this is the inaugural podcast, I feel it is only fair to start with the thing I have been most grateful for for years. Literally, this has topped the charts in my gratitude journal nearly every time. My dear listeners, today's podcast will be focusing on, drumroll please, I can't make this sound. If I could make that sound, you know the sound I mean. That sound. That was my drumroll. Anyways, the topic for today is toilet paper. Oh yeah, the big TP. TP for toilet paper, in case you didn't know. Now, I don't mean to sound like the hipster of toilet paper, but I've just got to say that long before pandemics and toilet paper shortages, which the U.S. experienced, I was a great appreciator of toilet paper. I had expressed gratitude for toilet paper in many public settings, for years, among friends and congregations, and in my own private gratitude journal, as previously mentioned. I'm pretty sure for years it made every entry. Like, I was literally thankful for it every single day. Why? I think the main reason is that I could not fathom the alternatives. It was terrifying to me because all I could picture was using leaves. Leaves that would one day inevitably involve a stick. A stick that would leave me both emotionally and physically scarred. I just, I wasn't ready for that. I was happy to be spared any and all possible emotional scarring. Toilet paper was a constant. It was always something I could appreciate, from the funny and inauspicious patterns printed on the soft paper. I don't know who does that, but like, I want that job. But I also want it to be a wall carpet vacuumer, so... Anyways. I could even be grateful for the toilet paper, and I'm saying that with bunny ears here, that required three or four layers to be anything more than liquid-resistant paper. I mean, it was always there for me when I needed it. Then the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden, my love for toilet paper, this private, constant source of gratitude had gone viral. It was suddenly vogue. Not my own appreciation for it, but like appreciation in general. And I'll tell you what, I kind of just wanted to say with all like the third grade tremor of conviction I had left, I said it first! Ha ha! Ha ha ha! Ha! Yes! Envy me (laughs) for my love of toilet paper before all of you knew it was cool. (laughs) Yep, that's kind of how I felt. Because you know it matters. <laughs> so this pandemic was something of a catalyst to push a procrastinated idea that I'd had for about a year into actual being and existence. And here we are now. I have a podcast called Thank You for Toilet Paper, where we'll do something of a deep dive on a bunch of random things to be grateful for and how they came to be. If you're down, then buckle up. And I promise I will never again mention how I have always been thankful for toilet paper before other people. Most likely that will not come up again. Who knows? Now, I'm not saying that leaves and the occasional inconvenient stick are the only alternatives to toilet paper. I mean, clearly, our ancestors got along without this stuff for years. So, what did they use? Previously, our ancestors would use water to wash themselves when they were done with their business. Many of us still opt for this option today, from the outdoor to the indoor bidet today, bidet. That was fun. Toilet paper has been around for ages, just in varying forms. In China, in the 6th century AD, paper was used for hygienic purposes similar to how we use toilet paper today. This paper was later mass-produced in the 14th century. 
As with most things, the more money you had, the fancier you could do your business. In 1393, it was reported that the imperial family of Hongwu Emperor had 15,000 ultra-soft toilet paper fabric at their disposal, and they were scented. In other parts of the world, the wealthy would use wool, lace, or hemp. Those of the less wealthy class used a variety of sources from well, their hands, to rags, grass, hay, snow, rivers, moss, rocks, seashells, corn husks, leaves, and more options. In fact, in Rome, a sponge on a stick was typically used and then placed in a vessel full of vinegar. Some sources suggest that ancient Jewish practice included using a set of small pebbles kept in a special bag. In France, Francois Rabelais made a satirical jab at the idea of using paper to clean oneself in his book Gargantua and Pantagruel. Despite these jabs, paper became more and more popular, especially as newspapers, books, and the publishing industry began to flourish. In the United States, the most popular chosen piece of literature for doing one's business was the Sears Catalog, which came in the mail with enough regularity to be a reliable source of relief. And it was free. I can see the appeal. People also used the old farmer's almanac, which those writers must have been wise to because it was eventually produced with a hole in the corner, perfect to hang up in the outhouse for easy use. But how did toilet paper become the norm? Part of the answer to that question began with a man named Joseph C. Gaetti. In 1857, Gaetti's name was familiar to anyone who used his medicated toilet paper, probably because he proudly printed his name on every single sheet. Gaetti's toilet paper used aloe and hemp to soften the experience. While Gaetti's medicated paper sheets were a step forward, they were ultimately unsuccessful. Over the next several years, many names entered the toilet paper game. While Zeth Wheeler in the United States patented perforated toilet paper rolls in 1871, in Britain, Walter Alcock created toilet paper on a roll a few years later. In 1879, the Scott Paper Company, oh yeah, Scott Paper Company, let's just all enjoy that for a minute. Thank you, The Office. In 1879, the Scott Paper Company was the first to sell toilet paper rolls in the United States. Hans Klenk, a German, became the first seller of rolled toilet paper in Europe in 1928. Over the years, many improvements were made, from softer toilet paper with the introduction of two-ply to what I consider to be a very important advancement, that of splinter-free toilet paper by Northern Tissue in 1935. 1935, people. That was when splinter-free tissue paper was introduced. I just... I thought sticks were bad. As indoor plumbing became more of the norm, people had to turn to options that would not clog drains. It just became part of life, albeit an uncomfortable part of life. Many Americans were not comfortable with talking about toilet paper, let alone bodily functions. In fact, it wasn't until Charmin hit the scene and began to advertise the softness of the paper, marketing it using more feminine wording and images such as babies, women, and bears, as opposed to reminding people what it was for, that toilet paper became a normal part of life that we could talk about. This also isn't the first time the U.S. has had a run on toilet paper. In 1973, Johnny Carson made a joke on air, which led to many Americans stockpiling the beloved toilet paper, now splinter-free for 40 years, and led to an actual toilet paper shortage. We can at least take comfort in the fact that repetitive history is a reliable human trait. And it seems we made it out of the last run on toilet paper alright, so we'll get there. 
Soon we'll be back to enjoying the time-honored activities of splinter-free, TPing, and the regular arguments of whether toilet paper should fold over or under. And just for fun, according to my research, the proper position is over. Science says so. Now, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that toilet paper is a bit more complicated than just being a really wonderful alternative to using twigs and rocks and corn husks. You might be wondering about the more complicated side of toilet paper. And it's true, toilet paper isn't just the most wonderful thing in the world, although I do believe it's quite great. It's true also that for Americans, the amount of toilet paper that we use in a year requires the usage of 15 million trees. So it's not just all sunshine and roses with toilet paper. And I want to acknowledge that. It has its own complicated consequences as well. And while it's important to acknowledge that it's a complicated issue, I think that we can still take time to have gratitude for the good things about it. So there's more to learn about this. As always, go out there, study it up, get your own opinion, see how you think and feel about it. But I did just want to take a moment to say that I'm grateful for it, even though it isn't perfect, because it has in some way been a blessing in my life. And I can also say that, you know what, it might require a little bit more discussion, and that's okay. It does require some analysis to see if we can improve the experience even further. And that's great. We should have those conversations. And we should examine it and say, wow, this is great. What are the other impacts? So I can be grateful for it, and I can also say, hey, maybe we should use more bidets. (laughs) I don't know. So why does it matter to be grateful for toilet paper? I honestly think it is helpful to be grateful for the little things because by noticing the everyday, we elevate it. We can appreciate it and it moves from being ordinary to kind of extraordinary in our lives. And when we see all the extraordinary things around us, maybe it just helps kind of simplify things and helps us find a little bit more joy in our lives because I think we all can use that. So that's it. That is our toilet paper journey. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hopefully we can all just keep in mind that we can be grateful for our splinter-free experience. Hope you all have a wonderful day.